Welcome in, everybody. It is good to be back doing what we love to do on Fridays. It's time to get in the cage. It's brought to you by the Emerald Queen Casino. A pleasure to bring back to the program a man we've spoken to a few times before. He is the associate editor at BloodyElbow.com. Does a great job covering the sport of MMA. He is with us now. Mookie Alexander is here. Mookie, how are you, my friend? I'm doing good, Bob. And, and yes, it is great to be covering fights again at the very least. And so far, so good in terms of uh, entertainment value. Yeah, we've we've had some really cool fights, and and I, I want to talk to you about that in a moment. But you know what's interesting, and this might be getting into the weeds for casual uh, MMA fans, but some of the stories that are out there now about the former matchmaker of the UFC and Joe Silva, who wasn't a you know I had, I had never had a chance to speak with him. I don't know how many if you ever interacted with him, but it, it seems odd that the, all of a sudden we're hearing stories about what a terrible guy he was and these awful things he would say to fighters, whether we're talking about what Brendan Schaub has said or Eddie Alvarez or Gray Maynard or just a list of you know fighters that have dealt with him. Where, where did this start? Do you know what, what, what sort of prompted this Joe Silva backlash? Um, well, one of the things with Joe Silva is with the UFC antitrust lawsuit going on right now. Some of the things that have been revealed uh, suggest that Silva was was quite a cutthroat person in terms of uh, dealing with certain fighters, obviously not all of them. So we, we should be uh, a little bit fair towards him and that all of the negative stories you're seeing about Joe Silva doesn't mean that it applies to all fighters. Uh, but we are seeing the likes of John Fitch, Gray Maynard, Mike Pierce, and others uh, voice their displeasure over how they were treated by Silva over the years as matchmaker. And um, it, it feels like this is all kind of boiling over. It's more than just Joe Silva. It's kind of the way that the UFC fighter dynamic has changed or it, is, it has been brought more to light that not everything is all great behind the scenes and it's in addition to the matchmaker uh controversy i guess you could say with silva and past ufc fighters you also have the fighter pay issue and maynard has also been very vocal about that he's been doing the media rounds so i I think at this time more fighters are feeling comfortable speaking about some of the things that happened to them while they were under ufc contract and in the case for some fighters like john jones and uh jorge masvidal they're speaking out about fighter pay right now as fighters under contract. Do you see any of this leading to a change? I mean, John Jones and Masvidal are big names in this sport. Um, Conor McGregor is retired again, whether anybody takes that seriously or not. Amanda Nunez talking about retirement in, in jeopardy of losing potentially for different reasons, retirement or otherwise, some really big names in, in on the UFC roster. Do you think this leads to any change? How do you see this playing out? I'm skeptical that it will lead to change because we, we've seen these sorts of things bubble up before. Maybe now it's more pronounced compared to previous years. It's also going to take a lot more fighters and a lot more willingness to organize. Now, of course, as independent contractors, they can't form a union. Um, and even if they wanted to form an association and, and vouch for better treatment of fighters and including better pay, uh, it's not as easy as you would think it would be. Uh, it's not the the cure-all as it pertains to the fighters. So will there be change? I don't think so. Will we see more fighting fighters, rather speaking out? I think we will. Um, It it just seems like that sort of time. 
Do you, do you have a sense of how the UFC compares to Bellator or One FC in terms of what they pay their fighters? I know it's different for every fighter, and and maybe they, you know, when uh, Bellator brings Rory McDonald over, maybe that's a completely different stratosphere of payday compared to the rest of the roster. But it, just in general, do you have any sense of how the how these uh, promotions compare? Yeah, we we shouldn't get it twisted. The UFC still pays more on average. Uh, compared to the other promotions, one championship, Bellator, MMA, or PFL. And, and you can just look at the preliminary card structure, for example. The UFC has a television deal with ESPN, and they get an extra rights deal just from marrying the prelims. So even your lower-level lower UFC fighter can get on the minimum 10000 to show, 10000 to win contract, whereas you compare a Bellator prelim or a one prelim, and those fighters are making a lot less, and usually they have to find another way to get income, like selling tickets. And obviously, selling tickets is totally impossible at the moment. So the pay structure in MMA, I think, has to be improved, and it has to start with the UFC uh, before any other promotion can really get involved, because the UFC commands so much of the markets that there is really no chance for other promotions to compete with them for top fighters uh, in, in terms of giving them the best purses. Because even if other promotions wanted to give uh, favorable purses to elite-level fighters, you know, championship-level fighters, the competition is going to be inferior. So that's sort of the dynamic you have right there. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Mookie Alexander is our guest here on 710 ESPN Seattle. I, I had a chance to ask a couple of other guys the past few weeks uh, just to get their thoughts on this, and I want to get your thoughts as well. Uh, I brought up John Jones, Jorge Masvidal, Conor McGregor. What do you think happens with these guys? I mean, I, I personally don't take the retirement seriously. It's the third one for Conor McGregor. I, I, I can't see John Jones sitting out and letting them uh, strip him of his of his belt and letting, you know, Dominic Reyes fight whoever he wants to fight for it. I maybe I'm maybe I'm not taking these guys seriously enough. What do you think? I mean, it, just in individual cases, what do you think happens with McGregor, Jones and Masvidal? Well, if it's all about leverage, fighters in an individual level, including McGregor, really don't have a whole lot of leverage against the UFC because, as we've seen, they can just keep the show rolling with, with these types of events and judging by the television ratings, they're doing very well for themselves. The, the, the fan base just sees the brand as bigger than the fighters. Uh, so for McGregor, it, it's kind of like Brett Favre, right? So you, you don't really believe his retirements until, until something forces him to, to definitely retire. So with Connor, I think he'll come back at some point. He's itching for that Khabib rematch, uh, no matter what he says. And if Khabib beats Gaethje, and that's not a given, by the way, then you know that Connor versus Khabib, down the line in 2021 with the possibility of fans and thus a, a live gate again. That's a massive fight. As for John Jones, <laughs> that's an interesting one because he's been talking about moving up to heavyweight literally since 2013. So I, I'm not 100% sold that he's, he's serious about this move to heavyweight, but at this stage of his career, it does make sense. The weight cuts could be harder. Uh, the fights at 205 are just not big sellers anymore, especially now that Daniel Cormier has gone up to heavyweight and he's re soon to be retiring anyway. So it is possible that Jones does vacate that belt. Uh, but as far as him just sitting out in, for a very long period of time, I don't think that's happening. For Masvidal, because he didn't get the, the title shot against um, Kamaru Usman, and it looks like uh, the money was the reason for it, he could sit out as well, but I don't, I, even then, I don't think it's going to be that long. In other words, if they want to be out of the USC, like John Jones said, release me, I think Masvidal said the same thing, that is absolutely not happening. So I suspect that we'll see these fighters 
all competing in the near future, not necessarily like two or three months, you know, several months down the line to at least early next year. And let me throw one more name at you in that same conversation. Amanda Nunez, who's talking about retiring and Dana White, you know, jokingly said, I'll kill her. You know, we're building this division around her and implying that if she's not there, the division's not there. What what do you make of those words? I actually believe that Nunez would retire because that is something she has already talked about for at least three years now. She talked about it in 2017. She talked about it before the Holly Holm fight last year. And at this stage of her career, she's accomplished so much that her resume is is really beyond any sort of debate. She is the best women's mixed martial artist of all time, one of the best MMA fighters we've ever seen, regardless of gender. She wants to start a family. Uh, She's going to have a kid soon. And it's unlikely that she's going to compete for the rest of the year. And just in terms of the number of fights that I can think of that are interesting for Nunes at at this point, it's really not that many. A trilogy with Valentina Shevchenko, is likely the most interesting fights, but she is up to nothing on the uh, on the scores there. And Dana White, for whatever reason, doesn't seem too keen on making that fight happen. So the only wild card I could see is Kayla Harrison from PFL signing with the UFC, and then you make that fight at whatever weight class. But it, it it's interesting that Dana White uh, said at the media scrum on Friday uh, before uh, Blades versus Volkov that if Nunes does retire, they're not going to or probably not going to keep the women's featherweight division around. And that he said that they were looking to build that division, that's interesting to me because they've had this division since 2017 because the division was not meant for Amanda Nunes. It was meant for Chris Cyborg. They had Cyborg. Now she's with Bellator, and Bellator has the bulk of the best women's featherweight. So I don't see how they were going to build that division anyway. So I'm skeptical of that quote. But, yeah, Nunes, I think it is very conceivable that she retires and – Hats off to her if she does, because it's been a tremendous career. Her run uh, through the women's bantamweight and featherweight division has been simply phenomenal. Oh, she's she's ridiculous. I mean, there's there's hands down the greatest female fighter in the history of the sport, in my opinion. I don't think that's going out making a big, bold statement by any stretch of the imagination. Hey, before I ask you about uh, UFC 251, I want to just just as a fan watching these fights with no crowd there, I've been, you know, talking on the show about it. Uh, you know, yeah, this this pandemic is, is terrible and it, it, it's it's awful and it's affecting, you know, everyday lives and sporting events, obviously. But I, I, I have been promoting the fact that, you know, the upside to this, it, hopefully for just a year, is that you might be able to watch some of your favorite sports in a way you never did and hear things that you never heard before. And, you know, whether we're talking about the hits in football or some of the back and forth, you know, trash talk in basketball, just things that the crowd normally drowns out and in fighting. You know, you're hearing these punches land in a different way. You're hearing fighters talk to each other in the cage. You're hearing the cornermen. You're hearing things again in fighting that that you wouldn't hear otherwise. How have you enjoyed that? And I know, you know, we've we've watched the Ultimate Fighter and and things like that where there really isn't a crowd. So, sort of experienced versions of this before. But to this point, how have you enjoyed these cards that have been put on so far with no audience? I've enjoyed them for the, for the most part. I've really enjoyed them. It just there are certain fights like Ferguson versus Gaethje last month where you really wish there was a crowd, but otherwise it's actually even affected strategy. Uh, when they were in Florida, the fighters could clearly hear Daniel Cormier analyzing the fights, and they were right, actually right. making <laughs> adjustments accordingly. Um, but you can hear Greg the Greg Hardman. <laughs> 
Yeah, Greg Hardy even admitted it too. So you, you hear the corners uh, more clearly. So you, you get to hear some of the strategy that goes on that you otherwise wouldn't hear, forget on television. Even if you're actually at the event as a fan, you're, you're really not going to be hearing that all that clearly because there's just so many other things going on that creates all that cauldron of noise, if you will. So um, seeing, I certainly rather this than the pumped in crowd noise that we've seen for, for other sports. I, I just think it's a different experience. And we will have fans again at some point, but I also uh, wonder how much this has also affected the judging because we have seen a lot of fights, boxing, MMA, whatever combat sport, where it feels like the crowd has had an influence on the judging Mm. and in some cases the refereeing with no crowd whatsoever. Who's affecting the judges? Like, do they have a clearer state of mind or are they being affected by the fact that they can hear the corners too, because there's gamesmanship going on there where the corners often make it seem like their fighter is landing something. uh, So they create some sort of, Hey, noise uh, when in fact, nothing really landed. Oh, that's a, that's a really good point. I hadn't even considered the judges in this scenario. I would think it would be easier for them because you're not being swayed by the momentum of a crowd, a building full of 18,000 people going nuts. But, yeah, that's that's a very fair point. All right, let me ask you about uh, two fights on this UFC 251 card before I let you go here. And Jose Aldo is one of the great great fighters of all time in the history of the UFC. He's past his prime. He's a guy who's lost three of his last fights and lost two in a row. He's he's fighting for a title here at the bantamweight level at the bantamweight uh, division. Any issues with that? Is is he a guy in your mind that based on who he's been and what he's given to the sport, he deserves this fight? Or how, how do you feel about him him fighting for a title based on who he's been in the cage recently? Jose Aldo is one of my favorite fighters ever, and of course his run from the WEC into the UFC as a featherweight king is is really something that is legendary. But I really cannot vouch for him getting a title shot here against Petr Jan. Now, these two are former sparring partners, so I guess that's a storyline there. And for Petr Jan, I assume that the UFC kind of booked this fight on the premise that if Jan wins, then it'll have back-to-back wins over Uriah Faber and Jose Aldo. So those are familiar names to casual fans. But as you said, Aldo's on a two-fight losing streak. And even though you could make a good argument that he actually beat Marlon Moraes in his last fight, the scorecard said that he lost by split decision. And poor Marlon Marais, poor Marlon Marais essentially lost, sorry, won his way out of a title shot. And that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So I would rather have seen Aljamain Sterling having just beaten Corey Sandhagen uh, at UFC 250, just put him straight into a title shot against Jan, as opposed to Aldo on a losing streak facing Jan. And if, if Jan beats up Aldo, then it really just makes it look even worse that they gave a fighter on a losing skid a title fight in a weight class where he officially has zero wins. Yeah, that's that's a great point. Uh, I want to ask you about the main event before I let you go. Kamaru Usman going up against Gilbert Burns, who's been on a tear. You know, there there are critics of this matchup as well, feeling like it should have been other fighters and a lot of other, you know, whether it's Nate Diaz, who I believe has no claim to anything at this point, yet seems to be inserted into these conversations for whatever reason, I guess maybe his fan base. But is is there somebody that you felt was more deserving of this shot as opposed to Burns? Would you rather have seen a rematch with Covington or or Nate Diaz or some other fighter that feels like they deserved it more than Burns being in there? I don't know who these people are who want Nate Diaz to fight Kamaru Usman. Uh, That would be easy money for Usman. Uh, So I feel like Burns, based on his resume, has a strong case for a title shot, even though Masvidal was initially 
at the front of the line. And then we know what happened with contract negotiations. So Burns jumps ahead of him. So a Covington rematch, I wouldn't have been totally against. But um, with, with the way that Burns has, has been on a tear at welterweight in such a quick period of time, to beat Damian Maya and then the former champion Tyron Woodley back-to-back and dominate them both, uh, he is at this point somebody who has, has earned the right to fight uh, his good teammate and friend, Kamaru Usman, for the welterweight belt. So the other wild card here, I suppose, is Leon Edwards, who's also been on a, a long winning streak. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for him, it doesn't seem like the, the fan base really gets behind Edwards. And there's no real momentum behind giving Edwards a title shot, even though he's got a decent case as well. So I assume that Edwards will fight somebody else for, in a number one contender sort of deal. Maybe Masvidal against Edwards because they have a backstory with their uh, little backstage altercation from last year. But I'm looking forward to Usman versus Burns because I already said these are teammates fighting. And again, these are active teammates fighting. This is not the same as when John Jones fought Rashad Evans and they were previously teammates and then Evans left Jackson Wink. So I, I think this is a perfectly acceptable fight. And this is not going to be an easy fight for Kamaru Usman. Uh, I can't wait. I, I love the card. I could talk to you about every fight on that card, but uh, we got to wrap. Mookie Alexander, associate editor of bloodyelbow.com, does a great job covering the sport of MMA and boxing. You can follow him on Twitter at Mookie Alexander. Get, get updates and, and uh, opinions on everything that's happening. It's great stuff. Mookie, always a pleasure to speak to you, my friend. Thanks so much for cutting out time once again. I look forward to talking to you again soon and, and stay safe out there. All right. You too. Stay safe, everyone.